Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. Just a disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We will call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. And when they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended... Hit the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the last place American League West Texas Rangers dropping the series three games to one. All is quiet as the Red Sox arrive back to Boston with an off day on Monday before beginning a three-game set with another last place team, the Detroit Tigers. News from around the league, Rockies shortstop slugger Trevor Story left Sunday's game against the Diamondbacks after being hit by a pitch on his right index finger. X-rays were negative and he is listed as day-to-day. Nationals phenom Juan Soto could potentially be activated from the IL on Tuesday as the Nats are set to face off against the Braves. Soto has been out with a strained shoulder since April 20th. Speaking of the Braves, catcher Travis Darno has been placed on the 60-day injured list due to a torn, torn thumb ligament. Their nightmare season continues to get worse. George Springer was activated by the Blue Jays this weekend for the Braves series. The former Astro went 3-for-15, which includes two home runs on Saturday. But, wait for it, left Sunday's game in the sixth inning due to fatigue, despite having DH'd all weekend. Thanks again for joining us. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can find me and harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. Co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts is Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I wish I could say it was good. Um, This weekend left a bad taste in my mouth, so... Not feeling too great after what we watched this past weekend, but otherwise I'm good. You know, still not doing too bad, so can't complain, I guess, too much. Yeah, for the second straight series, I got the uh, I got the score of the series right, but the the team's opposite. I yeah. picked the Mets to sweep us, <laughs> and a three one win for the Red Sox ended up being a three one win for the Rangers. Also joining us tonight from Providence, Rhode Island, is Charlie Smith. How are you, Charlie? What's going on, man? How you doing? Not too bad. Uh, it's uh, it's been tough. This this series was uh, a little difficult, but I'm trying to remain positive because a lot of the surprise players that we didn't think were going to do any damage did decent. <sighs> I'll leave it there. 
All right, and uh, I already botched it with Jason, as I always do. Where can people find you on Twitter, Charlie? Nice and easy, Smith underscore MLB. Smith underscore MLB and Jason. Yeah, mine's mine's a tricky one, but it's uh, color of the iris on Twitter, uh, all one word. Color spelled O U R at the end, but you can find me there. I'll be tweeting about something Boston sports, probably angry. So <laughs> that's the way it usually goes. Nice. Some reality TV tweets as well. I notice uh, sprinkled in there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe some Bachelor, Bachelorette tweets, you know, just for the hell of it. Why not? Mix things up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to it, I just want to kind of get you guys' thoughts on the new stadium for the Rangers, Globe Life Field. And I'll, I'll just kick it off by saying one of the things I think is weird is they're set up behind home plate for the fans. They're, it's It's a restaurant-type setting, and... There's like tables and they're all congregating and none of them are ever paying attention to the game. If a big strikeout happens, they're not locked in because they're eating their delicious, juicy steak and having social hour. And I just think it's kind of weird to have that area designated for that. You know, fans just not paying attention to the game. Yeah, it's. It's not my favorite of the new stadiums, and it kind of reminds me of what the Marlins did. You know, the Marlins behind home plate, they have the fish tanks. Oh. And, like, that was their big – that was, like, their big feature, right? And, like, that's cool, but it sort of takes away from the game. And I know that, like, a lot of people may look at us saying that as, like, oh, it's old men yelling at clouds. But I don't know. I just – I don't like distracting things behind home plates. Like, just put seats there or put – you know, something standard back there, whether it's a restaurant or whether it's the fish tanks, like it's just weird. And it just, you know, people are prone to be distracted anyway. So when you put anything back there that doesn't have to do with just sitting in your seat and watching baseball, they're going to be distracted. And let's face it, like, no offense, Rangers fans, but you guys only discovered baseball in like 2011. So <laughs> like, you're, you're not, you're not real fans. Like we know this. Okay. Like, Let's all be honest with each other. You're not real baseball fans. You're a football state. But still, it's just, it, you know, this brand new stadium. And you're right. Like, people sitting behind home plate, they're not actually watching the game. They're just eating their barbecue and just looking up who the Cowboys drafted. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's all they care about. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, did you have any observations? I, you know, I'll say this much. Like, we've been talking about, like, oh, yeah, I'm many fans stadium you know it's like at 10 percent 20 percent rangers is like hold my beer we'll fill the whole bitch up excuse my language Thirty-five thousand fans Thirty-five thousand fans on saturday night what's more surprising the fact that there are thirty-five thousand fans in texas or the fact that there was how many fans behind home plate eating food and not knowing that there's a baseball game happening in front of them what was more <laughs> surprising i i think it was the lat the, the you know the latter not the, the first so uh it, it was you know I don't know. I, it's it's weird. And I remember when they when they brought the pool to Miami. Didn't Arizona also do something like that too? Didn't they have something in in yeah. right center field? Arizona has like a hot tub in right center field. That's yeah. another thing. It's like, oh, cool. We bought a, you know twelve dollar tickets in the bleachers to go sit in a tub. Yeah. Like, <laughs> really? You couldn't I mean, just go to your backyard for free? Yeah. 
I mean, it's only like 120 degrees in Arizona, so why not sit in a hot tub? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and not catch a baseball. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's a little silly to me. I mean, cool they got they got a chance to do something new as far as the stadium went, but like, it's Texas. Good for them. They actually, you know, the 14 fans that were paying attention, you guys won three out of four. Well done. Great job. The other thing I noticed is they used artificial grass, even though their roof opens up. Minute Maid Park, you know, just across the state there in Houston, they have real grass. So it's it's a little weird that that the Rangers went with, you know, artificial surface. And when the roof's closed, which it was, except for Sunday's game, it kind of has a trop-like feel to it. Uh, you know, when they're playing the field. So I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with the stadium. I'm sure it has a nice amenities and it's top notch as far as all that goes, but, but uh, definitely uh, looks a little weird. So we have a lot to go over this episode. So we will get right into studs and duds. Jason, you're going to lead off. Who was your stud for this Ranger series? As difficult as that might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a little more challenging this time around, but uh, I went with the guy who's really been hot the last couple of weeks, and that's Darwin's and Hernandez. Um, this is a guy that I've been critical of since the start of the year. Um, he was a guy that going into this season uh, in spring training and in the offseason, I identified as maybe potentially seizing that closer role and, I was very disappointed through most of April because the control wasn't great. He wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. Um, he looked shaky at times, but Darwinson Hernandez, his last 10 innings of, of work, he struck out 15 batters and the walks are still there. He's, he's still walked eight guys in those, those 10 innings. Um, but if you take out one bad outing against Seattle, that was on April 22nd. He gave up three earned runs in one inning. It was a really bad outing for him. That was kind of a whole a bad weekend for Red Sox pitching in general. But since then, he's he's been great. I mean, his next three innings after that, this whole series in Texas, he pitched three innings. He struck out eight guys, only allowed two hits, didn't walk anybody. No walks, no runs allowed. He was dynamite in this series every time he came in. And the one thing that really stood out to me, and and Remy pointed out on the broadcast, he's pitching with confidence, which for a young guy like him, when you've got really good stuff and you're a left-hander who throws in the upper 90s and you've got good breaking balls, all that stuff, you've got to pitch with confidence. And I felt like, the first month of the season, most of April, Hernandez was going out there and he wasn't pitching confidently. He was kind of timid. He was afraid to give up the long ball. He was afraid to make a mistake. So he was pitching around tough hitters. That's what caused the walks. That's why he was walking so many guys because he just he wasn't attacking the zone. He wanted to try and paint, which a guy with his stuff, that's hard to do. This series, and really for the last couple of weeks, he's attacking the zone more. He's throwing strikes, and he's trusting his fastball a lot more and just going up there being like, you can't hit this. And if you do, like, hats off to you. Like, that's good for you if you can hit it, but I don't think you can. He's got a plus fastball. He's got a pretty decent breaking ball, and he's been showcasing that. 
So I thought this series, he looked really good. He was attacking the strike zone. He was using that arm slot to his advantage, especially against guys like Gallo and all the other left-handed hitters that he was going up against. Like that fastball across the strike zone to left-handed hitters, that's that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare for any left-handed hitter. Um, and even against right-handed hitters, he has a breaking ball to offset that. So I was really impressed with him this weekend. Um, again, he's a young guy. He's a young guy who has really good stuff. I think he's still kind of learning how to trust his stuff. But if he's being taught to sort of attack the strike zone more with that plus fastball and then throw hitters off balance with your breaking ball and use that to your advantage, then he might be turning the corner. And that's huge for this bullpen because, quite frankly, like through the first month, he was a guy that I, I wasn't, I don't want to say I was writing him off, but I didn't view him as a tremendous asset to that bullpen. I viewed him as a guy that, okay, if you have to bring him in, you bring him in, right? It's, you know, if you have no other choice, if other guys are burnt out, you bring him in. Now I look at him and I go, if you've got a bunch of tough left handed hitters coming up, I would rather see Darwinson in there than Josh Taylor. And going into the start of the season, I wouldn't have said that. I would have trusted Taylor more. But Darwinson might be your best left-handed hit, left-handed reliever. Sorry, out of that bullpen. So if he's turning that corner and he's becoming that, that's a huge asset to this bullpen. So I thought he looked really good. I hope that he keeps it up. I hope he keeps you know getting that confidence and keeps developing because again, he's a young kid. You've got him under control for a number of years. He can be a really good asset to that bullpen for a long, long time. I absolutely agree. Before the season even started, the first thing that went through my mind is like, this is who I want to close out games. I, I want this to happen. But, you know, we all agreed that it was going to be Matt Barnes to lose and Ottavino was perhaps in the wings. And that's just not going to happen now. Um, and, you know, on the it was in the... Wasn't it? it was Seattle series? That was the one where he got rocked because it was Bill Miller behind the dish that that screwed him, and that's what blew up his his ERA to something ungodly. Um, I don't remember the last time that we had a reliever strike out eight eight, eight guys, allow one or two hits, not walk a batter in three innings of relief. Maybe Craig Kimbrell did it. But I, I can't remember him coming out for three games in a series. He struck out eight guys. That's stupid. Everyone that came up, you sat them down outside the, the, the lonely singles that you gave up. And Jason's absolutely right. Outside of that one performance, which I don't even think was his fault. I think the umpire was partially to blame. He's been fantastic. I mean, he's been above stellar. The walk numbers were a problem. We didn't see a walk in this series three straight games without a walk he hasn't done that all season he went what seven eight games only had multiple strikeouts in two of them he struck out two or more in each game if this is a sign of what's to come for boston i'm sticking by what i said like this is your closer of the future we have a 25 round fantasy league in the fantasy league that i'm commissioning I took him in the 25th round, and I'm like, holy crap, there's nine idiots in my league. No one wanted Darwinson. And the walks were a, a bit of a problem, but uh, the talent is there. It's just get it out of your head, and once you do that, you're going to be phenomenal. Eight strikeouts in three innings? <laughs> That's just silly. 
Yeah, you know, I've said all winter long, I do expect him to take over the closer position at some point. I mean, when he's on, I mean, who else do you do you get excited about in that bullpen? You know, Barnes has been good and human at times, as we've seen. He had that three-run bomb given up against him. But when when Darwinson is in there, you can tell he's locked in. You can tell he's amped up, and it's fun to watch. And I think once he gets all of the the kinks ironed out, he's gonna go on this unbelievable run that we haven't seen in this bullpen for a long time. And he was fun to watch throughout the series on on Friday. He excuse me, I think this was uh, Thursday rather. He struck out Gallo, Adolis Garcia, Nate Lowe, and they all struck out swinging. They all whiffed on the third strike. Three up, three down. They were all strikeouts. Next night, he faces uh, Gallo again, strikes him out swinging. Adolis Garcia got caught looking, struck him out. And uh, Nick Solak, who is having a J.D. Martinez-type season, at least as far as home runs, also struck out swinging, and uh, today he he was a little he scuffled a little bit, uh, and but by scuffling I mean he actually gave up a a hit and uh, struck out two. So um, he's just been absolutely electric. He's not going to just take the closer spot away from Barnes, and quite frankly, we need to see him continue to you know go on this run, but. Um, we're seeing the potential. I will admit, I think last week, Jason, didn't you have him as your dud? I sure did. Yeah. yeah I, I thought last week he was, he was scuffling a lot. That was the Seattle series exactly. where he came in and just looked like trash. So quite a turnaround for him. But, yeah. but what did I say? I said that that's not completely on him. I thought that was unfair. Yeah. I thought it was loaded. Uh, and, and you give up the runs, you give up three runs. But that inning would have been over much sooner had it not been for Bill Miller on his knees. Let's <laughs> well, be serious. And let's let's face it, the umpire today helped him out a little bit because he he struck out Gallo and Gallo was so pissed off that he got himself ejected for it. So I mean maybe Gallo was... also hasn't really been been no. that great. He's walking a lot, but that's it. Like no, great. Yeah. Your plate discipline is fantastic this year. You're walking yeah. more. Guess what? You're still not bashing. No. I mean, hey, Gallo's definitely about? been struggling, but yeah, I mean, he he got a little help from the umpires today. He didn't quite get that same help last weekend, so you know, it, it's he's going to be one of those guys that it's going to go up and down. You know, he might have a really good series where he gets the calls, and he might have a bad series where he doesn't. And right. you know, but so far this weekend, it, you really can't complain. There was actually one at bat, and it was on Saturday. Let's see. Yeah, it was Nate Lowe who has been a, a pretty hot hitter uh, this year. I think he might even be second in the league and runs batted in uh, behind only Martinez. He got kind of squeezed, Darwin's in dead, and um, it should have been a strike three. Lowe gave up a single, and very next at bat he was able to lock right back in and and that's when he got Adolis Garcia out so that was nice to see after seeing him get rattled a little bit in the Seattle series and I'll admit 
I've already said, I, I do think he's the, the closer of the future and it will happen at some point this year. But, but last weekend in that Seattle series, my confidence wavered a little bit because I was thinking by the end of April, I figured he would be in that groove and there he was scuffling a little bit. So we've pointed out before we're extremely thin when it comes to lefties. So he and Taylor are going to have a long rope here. Um, I'll just mention now, I was going to mention it later, Taylor did have a pretty good series himself. Two appearances, um, didn't give up a run, only one hit uh, in one of the appearances. So hopefully that continues, but we won't be seeing him in high leverage for, excuse me, quite some time. Uh, Charlie, who is your stud for the series? Uh, My stud is the boy who's back, baby. I got J.D. Martinez. Give me some more J.D. stock, man. This guy went absolutely off again. Multiple hits in a in, uh, couple of games. Had a two-homer game. Um, nice to see him get that because I still feel like we're, we're still trying to make up for 2020. Just not a good year. Uh, went 5 for 12, hit over 400 in the series. Pair of singles, pair of homers, five RBIs, four walks, which is nice, too. Um, I'm not even concerned about the fact that he struck out four times. I don't care. Uh, 33% of your, your at-bat share does not bother me, but, um, I, I'm, I mean, dude, he, he, he's doing it again. This is, I mean, he's back. Andrew had said, you know, we might get, you know, 75, 80% of, you know, JD Martinez might hit 25 homers, 80 RBIs. That's my Andrew impression. It's kind of bad, but we're seeing then 75, 80% of JD Martinez. And Andrew was wrong. I was wrong. Everybody's been wrong because we weren't sure what was happening. I don't even think JD Martinez knew what was happening. And this year, it's it's the JD and Friends show. I mean, this is <laughs> this is why they got him. You know, he's now one of the best hitters in the league, and now people are. It's not like oh sweet JD's coming to this. It's oh crap again. And that was the reaction he used to have, and now he has it again. I'm happy. He's having a 2018 like year for sure. But Jason, thoughts on JD? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the Cora factor with Cora being back. I don't know if it's the iPad factor with him getting his little iPad back. I don't care what it is. Um, this is the JD Martinez that we wanted. This is the JD Martinez that the Red Sox paid for. Um, this is the JD Martinez you want in the middle of your lineup and he should have had a good series because quite frankly, um, I know the series didn't go our way, but this Texas Rangers pitching staff is still God awful. It's always been awful. Uh, the Rangers haven't had pitching for over a decade. It's just kind of their thing. Um, so this is a series where I looked at the offense and said, okay, you, you should do well here. You're, you know, you're playing in Texas. You're, you're playing in pretty de- decent weather. I know the roof was closed for a couple of games, but still, you're playing in decent weather. You're going up against a bad pitching staff. Let's see what you can do. Um, and Martinez performed well this series. He he was, you know, he was your best offensive player, I think, throughout the whole series. And it really has been just he's been sort of Mr. Reliable, which we couldn't say at all last year. He was sort of, you know, he was like a dead anchor in your, in your lineup last year. He's been the exact opposite. So, he looks so much better. His swings look better. His at bats look better. He's not flailing away anymore. 
that was my big my big criticism in last year is that like some of his at bats he was just flailing away at bad pitches and he just looked completely lost. He doesn't look lost this year. You know, if if you get him out, you get him out because you pitched well around him or or you you just you beat him, you know, because you're a really good pitcher. Um this series he looks so much more locked in, uh much more confident. So it's great. Uh, you know, hopefully he keeps it up because if this team's going to go anywhere this year, you need JD Martinez to be the stabilizing force and you know, you need him to be Mr. Reliable in the middle of your lineup. And so far he's been exactly that. So he had a good series. Um I wish that, you know, it had gone better for the team in general, but if JD Martinez is still out there swinging the bat like that, then you're not going to lose many more series like this. He, he's he's going to carry you at some point. So he, he what's crazy was I I I want to say this is the last time I I brought him up. Last year I was comparing like what he'd done last year in relation to this year. In 54 games last year, he had a 213-727 slash as far as average homers RBIs. Prior to today, 27 games, half of that. Nine home runs, two more than he had all of last year. 26 RBIs, one less RBI. He's done it in less than half the at-bats. He's had 101 at-bats prior to today. Hit 211 all of last year. His strike his strikeout rate went from 28 to 26%. That, re- that didn't really change too much. But the hits now, you're seeing solid contact. And it's not like these little dinky singles, dinky... D- He's mashing. This is the old JD, as Terry just said. 2018 JD is back. 213 batting average. Prior to today, 347. Like, I'll take whatever he's eating. Please and thank you. The Red Sox would not be where we are right now. We would be lucky to be a 500 team if JD wasn't giving us these numbers in the middle of the order. Like Jason said, he's been the stabilizer, and without that, like I just said, we're we're not off to a good start. So I I can't really add much more to what you guys have said, and he's been a stud, it feels like, on almost every show. We've all picked him at some point, and he leads the league in a lot of categories still. So... um, Love to see it and and hope it keeps up because we're going to get to some guys here shortly that aren't pulling their weight. And I'm just concerned he can't carry the team forever like he's been doing. So, um, but it's, it's fun to see him do it. My stud for the series, I'm going with Martin Perez. And the Red Sox lost his start, uh, not really his fault. And he was pitching against Kyle Gibson, who normally I would feel great about, but he has had a a good season himself. So I I was a little concerned about this matchup. But the, the reason I'm impressed with Perez is because he was coming off of two bad starts, uh, one against the White Sox the other against the Mariners. And both of those starts, he only lasted three and two-thirds inning. Against the White Sox, he gave up seven hits and four runs. 
and then against the Mariners, uh, four hits and two runs, and just was, even though it wasn't quite as bad as Chicago, he was clearly scuffling. So comes into this series, and I said towards the end of the last show when we were previewing the Rangers series, we need Perez to bounce back if we're going to have a good series. And he went five and two-thirds innings, gave up uh, five hits, two runs, only one earned, uh, didn't walk anybody, and struck out seven, which might be his high for the season. Um, So it, it was nice to see this was a team that you would hope that he would bounce back against. If he looked bad here, I would be seriously concerned. But that that wasn't the case. So um, hopefully he's kind of back in a groove. He did have, I think, one inning where I didn't grab my notes. I think it was the fifth inning. He uh, got himself into a jam and then um, was able to uh, pitch his way out of it. Yeah, bottom of the fifth, there were uh, two base runners and he managed to get out of the inning. So... um, Glad to see it. Uh, Jason, thoughts on Perez? Yeah, um, he he was great. And it's a shame that the offense let him down in this game. And I sort of saw it coming because Kyle Gibson is another one of these uh, former Minnesota Twins pitchers that I feel like we never pit, we never play well against him. Um, he's got a really heavy sinker, and he was making some of our guys look just absolutely silly against that. I, I feel like he owned Sander Bogarts in this game. Um, he made him look like a fool up at the plate. So it was a shame because I, I don't think Kyle Gibson is all, all that special of a pitcher. I just think that he's a really tall guy that has a heavy, heavy sinker and the Red Sox just offensively, they don't have a good approach against guys like that. So it's a shame. It's a shame that Perez went up there and rebounded, pitched really well and didn't get the offensive support that he needed. Um, and like you said, he's a guy that if this team wants to go anywhere, he needs to be stable. He needs to be a guy that you can rely on. And I think he's only had like really one really bad start so far this year. Other than that, he's been the Martin Perez that we know. Um, this is why they brought him back. This is why we're all happy that he brought that they brought him back because he is just, you know, five, six innings, you know, sometimes seven doesn't put too many runs up on the board. Um, you know, the the no walks was great. I, I'm glad that he's not walking guys and he was more of a punch out guy this weekend. That's great to see. But yeah, he was he was reliable again. It's just a shame that he didn't get the run support. It's probably one of the few times in his career that he felt like Jacob deGrom up there because he pitched <laughs> really well and just got no run support at all. So um hopefully they start to give him some more runs and he can kind of turn it around because uh, I do think he's still a very, very valuable part of this rotation. Charlie, thoughts so, on Chris? So, uh, yes, he Martin said Jake Perez. DeGrom. <laughs> yeah, that, that one hurt a they little look bit. Just yeah, like Jake, DeGrom, Jake DeGrom <laughs> gets no run support all the time. And no pitcher in Major League Baseball receives fewer runs of support. What Martin Perez gets in one appearance where he actually pitched past the fifth inning, DeGrom goes six, seven innings almost every time. 
and allows one or no runs almost every time. And we'll get the loss almost every single time or no decision. Like the only way he gets the win is if he's perfect. I remember his, his Cy Young campaign. It was like, how did he get like, that's how many wins he got? Really? Like his team was that bad. But I will say this much. It was the, it was uh, what Terry said. It was his highest strikeout number. He got seven on uh, his first start of the season. He only had six. Uh, but it was his first start where he went past five innings, didn't walk a batter. Uh, and that was nice to see. Uh, 70, I believe it was, let's see, 71%, 71, 71% of his pitches were strikes. Um, I have a feeling that if he had finished the inning, we would have probably seen probably close to 90 pitches and whatnot. He probably would have been done. Um, I think he would have liked to get one quality start under his belt. It is incredibly unfortunate that they could not get any runs for him uh, because it just kind of felt like that was the, the offense just wasn't there that day, like at all. It, it, I mean, to Jason's credit, it was kind of Jake DeGrom-esque. I just struggle hearing Jake DeGrom and another pitcher that is not even close to Jacob DeGrom's talent level being mentioned in the same sentence. Uh, I do feel for him. Um, two runs allowed in six innings, almost a pitching. Your team should give you at least two to three runs. So they did him a disservice in that one. But it's starting to get warmer. It's not cold. And so this is kind of where we are hoping to see some of these pitchers go a little bit longer, kind of go easy on the bullpen, because the Red Sox are one of the teams that they have used their bullpen quite a lot. Um, I I, want to say the Yankees are in front of the Red Sox as far as bullpen usage so far. That's a scary statistic. You don't want to be one of those teams that's overusing your bullpen in April, May. You just don't. So my hope is that we can build on this and move on from this. Hopefully he'll get his next start against the Orioles uh, later in the week. So, And that's a team that can certainly give a uh, pitcher fits. They're making a lot of strides offensively. Uh, We'll get into some... Honorable mentions. Uh, this is going to be a little wonky. Uh, that's my favorite word, by the way. My favorite, new favorite word, wonky. Um, Alex Verdugo went four for 15, had hits in three out of the four games, walked in three out of the four games, so his presence was uh, certainly felt offensively. He's also going to get a dishonorable, though, uh, in the next uh, half of this segment. Xander Bogarts, uh, six for 17, had a uh, solo bomb today, also homered on Friday off of Kohei Irahara. Um, but he did strand uh, the bases loaded today, could have uh, made an impact. He's going to get a dishonorable uh, in the next segment as well for another reason. Uh, and then one thing I would like to talk about real quick, as far as the honorable mentions with the hitters, Christian Arroyo was three for nine, didn't really do anything special, but should he be the leadoff hitter at this point? Like, are are we, have we had enough of the Kike Hernandez experience in the one hole. <laughs> I mean, he, he probably should be, uh, 
but I feel like Hernandez with because of the clout that he has, because of the relationship that he has with Cora more specifically, I don't think that he's going to be moved out of that position anytime soon. Um, they love they love Kike. They Cora loves him. The Red Sox management loves him. Um, like I said, he's very close with Alex Cora. So we heard that today. Like these guys grew up together. So it's going to be hard to move him out of that position for Christian Arroyo, a guy who has bounced around to different organizations and has never lived up to his first round draft status. So um, I would like to see it because I think Arroyo has more potential. I think Hernandez is, like I said, just a very good, but yet overpriced uh, utility guy, but they love him. I, I don't see the change happening anytime soon. So it's a shame because I think a Royal long-term would be the better option, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. I'm, I'm also with Jason on it. Uh, he's had a couple of series where he's cracked six runs in four games. So he's, he's doing the right things. The problem is the batting average is not there. Uh, getting on base is a responsibility of batting in the one hole. We knew that we got him for his, Super Swiss knife, ultra utility ability to play all the infield and outfield. Uh, heck, I mean, if you asked him to pitch, he'd probably do that too. Like he's he's a gamer; he wants to play. Um, but a ro- a rowing the one is you almost want like do one hole, but then it's like who's in the two. Um, Arroyo has done well in the past couple games that he's actually batted in the one slot. Um. Enrique Hernandez would be a better option wherever Franchi Cordero is because wherever Franchi is in the lineup, that's an automatic out. And I'm going to be going to town on that if that's a dud um, because it's got awful. Like when he goes up to the dish, that's a bathroom break because I know that's going to be an out. I don't need to watch that. I, I, I'm not going to get those minutes of my life back. So it'd be interesting. I'm curious to see how much longer they let go. Um, if the team was starting to scuffle and struggle, uh, one series is, is far from that because truth be told, how many series have the Red Sox lost this year? Not counting this one. Two. Zero. How many? We lost this series and then we lost the opening series to. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. My, I, I, I can't even talk about that series. I, I, I've actually completely forgotten that one altogether because it doesn't feel real. Since oh, all right, since the opening series, that was the last one. Um, I think he's earned a little bit more of a leash, even though, even though, like we haven't seen uh, Kike Hernandez do anything as far as knock anybody in since Toronto. So it's been a couple of series already. Could Christian Arroyo be the answer? Sure. I I Has think Enrique he, Hernandez. I think he is the answer, though. I mean, I can't tell if uh, the stats were updated on Baseball Reference, but he's hitting either right now or coming into today, hitting three hundred two with a three fifty three OBP. So that's that's adequate, you know, in the one hole. Um, Kike Hernandez, on the other hand, is hitting at a two thirty one clip with only a two seventy seven on base percentage, and those numbers are getting worse. So 
Cora has been fielding questions about that. The beat writers have been asking. I, I don't know about Arroyo specifically, but they have been asking about the possibility of Kike moving out of that one hole. And I just don't know who the next viable guy would be unless you're just going to move everybody else up a spot, uh, you know, with Verdugo leading off and, and whatnot. So um, I just, I'm getting really annoyed with, with Hernandez, he was one for eight in the series, uh, three strikeouts, so nearly half is at bats, and always behind in the counts. He's never ahead. You you never see Kike Hernandez with two balls, one strikes. It's always zero balls and one strike, zero and two strikes, and it's just really infuriating. And we'll get to um, what. We'll, I might have more thoughts on that on the other side of the segment, but I think they just have to consider, you know, at least getting Kike out of there. So on the pitching side, Nathan Avaldi had a bad outing coming into the series. He bounced back pretty well. He scuffled. I think it was in the third inning uh, needed close to 30 pitches to get out of it. But, in the end, still pitched six innings, four hits, one earned run, walked two, struck out five. Not bad there. Um, I already mentioned Taylor had two scoreless appearances. We'll take that every time, regardless of what type of situation that is. Garrett Richards today, five innings, pitched four hits, one earned run, walked just one, struck out seven. I uh I I'm still not comfortable with Richards. I mean, where are you guys at? My glass is downstairs. I forgot to bring it up. Uh, I had a hunch we were going to be talking about it because after every single thing, I'm I'm like I'm watching the game and I'm watching Garrett Richards and I'm like, "Oh, congratulations. The dominating players are hitting 190 140." 200 but the guy that's hitting 340 has two hits off of you and two at bats so is it a product of you doing well against bad teams it's not your fault but i'm also not gonna anoint you like the crown jewel i i won't do it like i gave you a chance you blew it and then i was like nope i'm done and then despite me you've pitched well twice against bottom I don't know, Jason. Yeah, he's pitching better, which is encouraging. Um, Granted, it's hard to get much worse than how he started the season. So the fact that he's pitching better is not much. Um, But I'll I'll take it for now. But it's still high wire act every single time. I mean, the first inning today, he kind of got lucky. That game almost got away from him. Yeah. He, he didn't look good in the first inning. He was kind of powering his way through it. He threw over 20 pitches. Like, it's it's still, as much as it's good, it's not good enough. And I, I know that that makes us sound spoiled because, you know, he pitched well and that's all we can ask for. Granted, they still lost the game today. They probably shouldn't have. It wasn't his fault. But, like, it's still not good enough. I, I right. still, I would rather go into a Garrett Richards start and be like, yep, he's going to give you at least five innings of, you know what, 
decent enough baseball. Doesn't have to be great. He doesn't have to be a Cy Young candidate. But I would rather just go into every game going like, okay, you know, let's hope this first inning isn't, you know, him trying to defuse a bomb out there because that's the way it looks so far. So even when he pitches well, it's like you're still breathing heavy and it, it still just doesn't feel comfortable. So I hope that it's just he's he's getting there, he's building up, he's, you know, by June or July, he's going to be much more stable. But for now, he's still completely unreliable. I don't care what his stat line looks like. I just, with my own two eyes, I look at it and I go, he's unreliable. It's It's still not good enough. I actually, so I was watching it a little bit behind schedule on a break, and uh, I almost turned it off. Because I thought, oh my god, we're we're not even like twenty five pitches in, and you've allowed a hit, you walked a guy. We're not dealing with no control problems either. So you allowed a single, we had a walk, we had a wild pitch, and we're pitching in a warm climate. So you can't use cold weather as an excuse anymore. What is it this time? Too many fans? Like, and then he calmed down, thankfully. And I was expecting to hear like three or four people on Twitter to go off and be like, see, he's doing well. I expected that. In fact, I was actually disappointed that no one said anything because second straight appearance. Not wrong, but not right either. The high wire act, like Jason says, is what you're watching every time and. He looked like he was about to fall off it in that first inning. And uh, it would have been an ugly thing to watch. He it's he stranded runners on second and third. So the ball leaves the infield on two outs. They're running on contact. That's two runs. He strikes out the, you know, all, all three outs were as a result of strikeouts. So he gets out of it. But it wasn't the same start as against the Mets. The, he was shanking balls in the dirt again, and I don't know if that's the release point. And he's out there. He's not just battling the opponents in the batter's box sometimes. You can tell he's battling himself at the same time. And I just... I don't know. I'm I'm not a I'm not a Garrett Richards guy. So he kept us in it and if everybody is pitching well around him, I I guess we'll we'll live with it. But thank goodness it's only a one year deal. Actually I'd also like to bring up this point as well. Throws a ton of curveballs. A ton of curveballs. And most of those are, are going in the dirt. And I just wonder is a 33-year-old elbow or a 33-year-old shoulder going to handle that all season long? No. And it, this is his curveball. It's part of the reason they got him anyway. It's the spin rate, right? He, he yeah. gets awesome spin rate off of that curveball, which the, the nerds that work for the Red Sox, they love that. Um, but it's a fair point. It's like this guy's never been healthy through his whole career. I think one season where he actually made, I don't know, 25 plus starts. Other than that, he's a 33 year old who's never been healthy. 
and you're going to have him snapping off curveballs for, you know, 80% of his pitches through 100 pitches, like, yeah, by July, this guy might end up on the IL again. It's, you know, but hey, the spin rate, got to have that spin rate. Very important. It's just, it's so stupid. (laughs) Yeah, I I just... I'm not going to, I'm never going to buy a Garrett Richards jersey. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see many of them floating around Fenway. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think he's massively popular amongst the, the Fenway crowd anyway. So I don't Just think you have to worry about that. Looking at I his... think they're actually giving him away. I'm pretty sure they're actually giving him away at Fenway Park. They're like, we have extra inventory. You guys follow up with Yeah. Gonna have they they got to make it on a night he doesn't pitch, though. Wait till Sale comes back and, you know blazes the whole lineup and be like, oh, by the way, you know, we've got these free jerseys. I think Eck wore number 43. I would just pretend. I'd be like, yeah, it's an Eck jersey. <laughs> and uh, yeah. call it good. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. He's going to pitch against Baltimore, and that's a lineup that will get into his head if if he's going to have one of those games. And it's at Fenway where I have a lot of – reservations about how he can pitch at home where people could potentially hate him. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, getting into the duds side of it, (laughs) we're 48 minutes in Jason, who's your dud? Yeah. um, I'm going with Franchi Cordero and I don't, I honestly, at this point, I don't remember if he was my dud last week. I don't remember if he was my dud the week before. Uh, I feel like he's been a dud since the start of the season because, well, he has been. Um, He's sucked ever since he got here. He's been a complete waste of time. Uh, In this series, he only played in three of the four games, but he went 0 for 10 with four strikeouts, no hits, no home runs, no walks, nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And he's just been an absolute zero in the bottom part of that lineup for the whole season. Um, I don't care how athletic he is. I don't care that he's got a plus arm. I don't care that he has sprint speed of God knows what. I don't care. I don't care. He can't play. He cannot play the sport of baseball. He has no baseball baseball sense whatsoever. He doesn't know how to work a count. He doesn't, you know... Everyone's like, well, he plays a good left field. Okay, great. He can catch the ball. Woohoo! Yay. Like, you know, like little leaders can catch fly balls too. Like that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. I don't care about his sprint speed. He doesn't show great speed anyway. Um, I, I just, I have no use for this guy. I have no use. And I don't know what the lineup move is because he's, you know, the corner outfield position on this team is kind of a joke right now. Um, I kind of hope that Christian Arroyo strong arms his way into the second base position and Kike becomes your permanent left fielder because I honestly would rather see that than have to watch Franchi Cordero take another at bat for this team. He is such a bad baseball player. Um, I, I don't miss Andrew Benatendi. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they shouldn't trade him. No, 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 no. I still think Benatendi was long overdue to be traded. I, you know. I don't think he was going to work out here, but Jesus, you got this guy for him. Like we can make fun of Ben Attendee all we want. Ben Attendee has two home runs. Franchi Gordero still has, oh, hold on. Let me check. Oh, zero. That's right. 
the guy who people in spring training were saying, oh, he has David Ortiz-like power. He has zero home runs. Zero. None. Benintendi has two. So you guys can all, like all these Red Sox fans, you, know, you can make fun of Benintendi all you want. He's doing better than Franchi Cordero, who looks like a complete waste of time. So I don't know if it's, you know, Danny Santana, when he's healthy, if he takes his spot, or if, you know, Arroyo starts at second and Kike takes a spot, I don't care. Just get this guy out of the lineup. He can't play, and he's an absolute zero down there. I'm sick of watching him play. He's a waste of time. I'm done. Like, it's it's May 2nd. I'm done with the whole, well, it's the beginning of the season. Just give him time. No, no, no. No, it's been a month. It's been a month, and this guy has played way more than he should. I'm done. Get rid of him. I'm all set. Quick note on so, uh, Ben Attendi real quick. Uh, he's back. Yeah. He is back. He is. Yeah, I was going to yep. say, he actually had a two-homer game yesterday. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's, he's got yeah. th- three on the season. I don't know if the third one came today, but he's hitting two seventy three with a three forty seven OBP. So he's... But, yeah, he, but, he had two homers on Saturday. But, but what's his sprint speed? His uh, sprint speed can't be that good, right? So we got to get pro- rid of him. Probably that's, not. You know, he, that's the way it goes now. Excellent point. Probably yeah. not. He's He's got four stolen bases on the stage. It hurts to see it, but you know what? I'm happy that he actually got an opportunity because let's be honest, the Red Sox pushed him out. He wasn't doing what he needed to do. I am 100% unequivocally, unapologetically in agreement with everything Jason has basically said tonight. Franchi Cordero started the season 8-23-48 with a couple doubles, six singles, a couple runs knocked in. And has since gone, yes, one for 32 with a .031 batting average with one single and one RBI. I can find middle schoolers that can get on base without even swinging the bat and do better. This is awful. He still has several years of arbitration. And he has an option left. Why is he still here? Bring Kike into Franchi's spot. Bring in your boy Arroyo into the one slot. Bye-bye, Franchi. Bye-bye discussion of this Homer-esque power. I'm like, Jason, right now, I'm I'm more done with Franchi than I am with Bobby Dahlbeck. And I'm going to hate myself saying this more than a certain pitcher. I can't stand. Uh, that's how done I am with this. This is an automatic out. It's as automatic as automatic can be. It's painful. Franchi Cordero's last hit, to, just for perspective, today's May 2nd. It'll be May 3rd by the time most people listen to this. His last hit was April 14th. So... That's that's bad. He hasn't hit nineteenth. Nineteenth. Nineteenth? Really? Yeah, nineteenth. I thought the, it was... the the last big hit was the fourteenth. That's when he had a, a seven game hit streak, and it's like, wow, this guy can mash. But okay. since that hit on the fourteenth, he went four games without anything, went over ten, then he got a hit in that game, and then since then he hasn't had a hit in the last like nine games. Hasn't scored a run in he hasn't scored a run since the Minnesota series. Chicago, <laughs> Toronto, Seattle, New York, Texas. Five series, 
You haven't scored a run. You've knocked in one. Dude, what? Yeah. If he could get on base, uh, um, Alex Verdugo would probably be knocking him in at some point. But yeah, but okay. So April nineteenth. It's it's been a while, and. He's a bad baseball player. He is a bad baseball player. And I don't know. I don't know why Jairo Munoz isn't up. He he might be hurt. I don't know. I, I know something happened in spring training. That was a while ago. We could talk about Chavis if you want. I mean, at this point, Chavis is the GOAT compared to Cordero. I'll give him that. Um I'm just I'm done with Cordero myself. I worst player on the team, one of the worst players in baseball. Twenty nine other teams out there, regardless of how good or bad they are, probably would not have Franchi Cordero in their lineup. So why do the Boston Red Sox have him in theirs when there are better options? So Charlie, you're dud for the series. Uh mine was you can make a case. I suppose that there were some that were worse as best Franchi. No, that's like a putt, putt, easy one. Uh, Adam Ottavino. Ottavino, two thirds of an inning, a hit, three runs, two earned, pair of walks. Uh, he's had a couple appearances this season where it just really hasn't gone his way. Um, but his ERA has been ugly for a little while. Um, and we just haven't really consistent. We haven't seen that level of consistency. We haven't really seen what we saw Darwinson do eight eight punch outs in three innings. Like that's just we we just we haven't seen it. Um, and to start the year off giving up a lot of runs lately, it's not a lot of runs; it's a lot of walks, and uh, it, it just wasn't pretty. So you could make a case for him or An- Andres if Andres wasn't your dud. You know, both of them kind of had a, a rough one, but. Andrews is kind of like Darwin's and that was his first real bad was ugly one, but that's my dad. Yeah. I mean, comparing him to Andrews, at least with Andrews, like you said, it was his only really bad outing, you know, of the season. Andrews otherwise has been pretty solid. Ottavino, he's only had one good outing all year. That was the, the inning he came in and he struck out the side and we all went, Oh, maybe he figured it out. Maybe he's coming back. Nope. Nope. He, he comes out this series. He pitches terrible. The command's all over the place. He walks guys. He gives up runs. It's, uh, you know, it, we've been kind of reveling in the Garrett Whitlock thing all season because, oh, the Yankees are so stupid. They gave this guy up for nothing. Like, we pulled one over on them. The Yankees might have pulled one over on us without a vino. Like, oh, okay. You think you, we're just giving him to you for free? Like, okay. Yeah, have fun. He's, he's going to suck. He sucked last year in the COVID season and, you know, they maybe they identify that he's just one of these relievers who fell off a cliff. And it's just, you know, he's in his early to mid-30s. Maybe he's just done. And I don't want to believe that, you know, a month in. But again, like, there's only so much time you can give a guy. Again, it's May 2nd. Like, first two weeks, first three weeks of April, sure. Yeah, it, let him work out the kinks. Let him get it back together. But it's May 2nd. If by the end of May, this guy still has an ERA over five or over six, and he's still walking guys, and he's not showing the command, and he's just doesn't feel like he has it, then you've got to make a move. 
because this guy's a black hole in your bullpen right now. And granted, I think the whole Red Sox bullpen is kind of in flux to begin with. I mean, other than Barnes, everyone else has kind of been up and down. So I don't know if, you know, moving out of Vino is necessarily something you can do. Um, but he's he's got to figure it out because he's a better reliever than this. He's been better throughout his whole career. And I feel like just since he's come here, he just has not improved over what he showed in New York last year. Um, it's not good. And he was he was slated to be sort of your eighth inning guy, seventh, eighth inning guy. And now it's like, if you don't have a three-run lead, you can't bring this guy in. You can't. You know, anything less than a three-run lead, you cannot bring Arabino in because he's going to walk the ballpark and he's going to give up a couple of runs. So that's got to change. Otherwise, you've got to move on from him. I'm, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this, but a couple of times I have pointed out the Brandon Workman comparison where you knew on the first batter if Workman had it or he didn't have it. And the same can be said for Ottavino. When, as soon as he walks the first guy, it's not going to go well. You're just hoping maybe he gets one out in the next two at-bats because the three-batter minimum rule kills the Red Sox here. It absolutely destroys the Red Sox because we have to let him face two more. And that that could sink us. And it, it, it did today. Unlike last season, was a major blessing in the sense that we were able to just have Workman for a month, then trade him, get a nice haul back. We got Nick Pavetta, but the, the headliner was Connor Siebold, who could be pitching out of the rotation this year. One of the better moves Bloom has done. And we're not going to have that luxury because he's going to be at the, and I'm being metaphorical here, he's going to be at the bottom of the ocean by the trade deadline. He's just going to have no value whatsoever. And so Jason's right. We might just have to move on Hanley Ramirez style. Just DFA him or maybe you get something. You know, maybe you get a top 25 prospect from a team that's willing to try to, you know, get him back to his old form. But but certainly frustrating, and he's a, he's a heart attack reliever out of the pen. My dud for the series, I'm the only guy who ever uses him. <laughs> um, but I'm going with Alex Cora. We've talked about Franchi Cordero being 0 for 10. Bobby Dahlbeck was 0 for 11. Hunter Renfro had a, for him, a good series. He was 3 for 15 and went, he had, excuse me, yeah, 3 for 15 and had a a two-run homer in Saturday's game, which we ultimately lost. I don't like seeing Franchi Cordero and Hunter Renfro in the lineup together. There's no reason these two need to be in the lineup together, especially back-to-back. And they would make the perfect platoon if if Cordero was hitting because 
He can't hit lefties, but Renfro can. Renfro doesn't hit righties too well, and theoretically, Cordero being the left-handed hitter would probably thrive eventually, but probably not against righties. So I I just feel like there's no point in them being in the lineup together. If Arroyo is in the lineup especially, let's see where that happened. Bear with me. Yeah, so Renfro started all four games. Cordero was in the final three. So Arroyo was in games two and and three out of the four-game set. So if Arroyo is at second base, Kike Hernandez should be in the outfield hitting, you know, for one of those guys. And if you don't want to put Kike in the outfield, then put Marwin in the outfield. And let him do it. Marwin, by the way, has slipped all the way down to 189. So I don't, uh, that's getting harder to justify anyway. He's probably going to grind out uh, a quality at bat, but, but there, there's a, well, I'm being facetious, a million solutions to avoiding Cordero and Renfro from being in the lineup together that, I don't know if Cora's even deciding this. I questioned in the last podcast, I think that was with Andrew and Job, we I gave a scenario where Erod looked like he was done after six innings of his start before this one, and for whatever reason they sent him out again. He was getting hugged, shaking hands, so he looked like he was done after six. They sent him out again in the Seattle series, gave up a home run in the first at bat. That was a little weird. Same thing happened with Garrett Richards, and it was in the good star. I think that was against Seattle as well. And he looked like he was done after six, shaking hands, getting hugs. He came back out, and he did a little bit better. So I was kind of questioning whose decision was it to send those pitchers back out? Because it looked like Cora thought they were done, and and then they came back out. So is he getting a call from upstairs to one of the offices? Is somebody running down the tunnel? Hey, throw him back out there. And and then you see the lineup every day with, with Cordero and Renfro back-to-back in there. And it's even more painful when Dahlbeck is 0 for 11. It makes the Renfro because you know Dahlbeck isn't going to help. You can't even you can't even split those guys up if if Dahlbeck's in there. It's just utterly painful, and I don't I don't like Alex Cora's lineup cards, and I can't find it in my notes. But there was also a play at home plate that Cora should have reviewed. We didn't know if the runners foot touched the plate or not and one shot it looked like it probably did the behind shot it was pretty questionable he opted not to uh to look at it but but i'm just i'm i'm pretty frustrated with with the manager right now yeah i i think that's fair um and I, I do wonder in, in Cora's defense a little bit. It's like, okay, you were handed the groceries. Were you able to make a full dinner out of it? Like he's handed Cordero. He's handed Renfro. He's handed Dahlbeck. 
even Enrique Hernandez, who, you know, we were all told we were supposed to love, but he's underperformed. Like, I wonder, of course, just looking at it going, geez, I'm, I'm trying to put together the best lineup I can. But, like, apart from the middle of that lineup, the, the top, the, you know, the number one spot and then the bottom end is a mess. I mean, the bottom end is all Cordero, Renfro, Dahlbeck. Like, it, it's kind of a mess right now. Um, the You know, the one second guess would be, I don't I agree with you, I don't think Cordero and Renfro need to be in the lineup on the same day. Like, put one of those guys in the corner outfield spot, put, put Hernandez in the other, and put Arroyo at second. Because at least Arroyo with the bat has shown you that he should probably be in the lineup every day rather than Franchi Cordero, rather than Hunter Renfro. I don't know why Hunter Renfro is playing against right-handed pitchers. He can't hit right-handed pitchers. He never has throughout his whole career. I don't know why Franchi Cordero is in there against left-handed pitchers. He can't hit lefties. He never has in his career. At least Arroyo shows you that, yeah, he can probably hit both of them. You know, maybe not going to hit 306 all year, but he'll do better than effing Franchi Cordero. Um, and then there, there were small, small things, too. Like there was that play today where it was, I guess, supposed to be a hit and run where Devers got thrown up by a mile at second base. And I don't know if that was a Cora decision to send Rafael Devers with Marwin at the plate on a hit and run. No, um, it, Cora was asked in the in the post game because the writers asked that exact question. And Cora started yeah. to he started to shrug. And then he just said, no, nah, Devers just got thrown out. So Devers botched the sign okay. or whatever, but but it's a sign of okay. these guys not being locked in, and that falls on the manager as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that I mean that's at least a little better than I thought because I thought Cora did put a hit and run on there, and if Devers just missed a sign, but you're right, like that's still on him. It's like why is Rafael Devers, who's been in the league a couple of years, why is he missing signs? Why is he screwing up assignments like that? So, um, I you know it it's tough like. We're all, I think for the most part, we're all pretty pleased with the way things are going so far. And I don't think Cora has been a detriment to this point. But I also don't look at it and say, well, they're only succeeding because Cora's back. No, they're succeeding because guys like J.D. Martinez are hitting again. Like, the pitching has been better than we expected. Like, I don't think you can credit all of that to Cora. So he's kind of in the middle right now, at least perspective like he's not a detriment but i also don't think that he's the reason that they went 17 and 10 in april and that they're in first place i I don't credit that all to him so um i do want to see better lineups going forward because some of these lineup cards like you said i i I look at them the game you know before the game and i go jesus really we're still going to do the cordero dahlbeck renfro bottom of the lineup okay that's three automatic outs right there that's going to cost you and oftentimes it does. So he's got to start tinkering with the lineup more, and he's got to stop giving some of these guys so much rope. Because, like I said, it's May now. You know, you're you're out of April. You're into May now. You've held on to first place for a long time, but the Yankees are starting to bounce back. The Yankees are bouncing back. The Blue Jays are playing better. Like it's go time now. You're, you're gonna be. You're really gonna be tested. Um, and you've had the benefit of playing some crappy teams. The first month of your schedule, the schedule is going to get tougher. So Cora is going to have to sharpen up. The lineups have to get better, and he's got to start holding guys accountable. Because uh, seventeen and ten through April was great, but losing three out of four to the effing Texas Rangers, who I think are a 
seller dweller of a team is not good enough. So he's definitely going to have to step it up as, as things go, go, go forward. So I agree to some degree because I feel like I've just been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What he said with, with everything Jason said today. Um, I think Alex Burr has had part, you know, he's, he's played a little bit of a part as to, you know, rallying the troops and getting them fired up and whatnot. Red Sox have almost won the same number of games already through the season <laughs> as, as they did last year. You know, they won 24 games, not that many games. We've played less than 30 and we're almost there. Um, Branchy Cordero shouldn't be in your lineup at all at this point. I, I, I'm still confused why. Like when I see him in the lineup, I just get confused. Does he know something? Like, is it like a, is it like a bet? Why is he in the lineup? I don't understand it. Um, but to your point, pitchers are doing well. Your pitchers are actually here. Chris Sale will be coming back. We have a, we do have a lot more uh, reasons to be happy rather than be pessimistic and annoyed. The Texas Rangers are one of the worst teams in baseball. They're not the worst team, but they're they're down there. Detroit is is terrible. The Rangers are not that bad. Both the Blue Jays and the Yankees have been able to pick up a couple of games on the Red Sox. We have a one and a half game lead on the Toronto Blue Jays. We are still eight and eight at home. That is why we are not blowing away teams right now because we're killing it away. But at Fenway Park, it's like we don't know what's going on, which is frustrating. And um the season is still really young, but it's been a month, and I think you've kind of got a, pro- a a very good sample size in some of the players. We know what so- some of them can do. We know what some of the other ones just cannot do uh, or don't have the ability to do and should either be DFA'd, sent down, or benched, or just you're just going to be in for uh, a defensive replacement because... You know, Franchi Cordero, Bobby Dahlbeck, back-to-back. That is a pitcher's wet dream right there. That's two easy outs. And that's it's not good. You can't sustain that for another 130 games. You just can't. On top of the fact that when it gets cold, you're going to have excuses from some of your pitchers. Possibly, because who knows. On Saturday's game... We uh, let's see. We ended up losing that one eight to six. But in the in the fifth inning, Arroyo singled, Verdugo walked, JD singled, and uh, Arroyo ended up uh, scoring uh, from second uh, on a Bogart single. Verdugo scored on that. So we we were putting runs on the board, and uh, then Devers ends up walking to kind of continue the momentum, and then Vasquez va- uh, grounds into a fielder's choice. And then guess what? The bottom third of the order comes up. Dahlbeck and Renfro back-to-back struck out to end the inning. So a lot more damage could have been done, but because that bottom of the order is just so horrid, it, it just it uh, didn't go well. And then we end up losing 8-6. to six. So kind of painful. Some dishonorable mentions to get to. Alex Verdugo, despite having a decent offensive series, uh, mishandled a uh, 
a base hit today in the eighth inning. One run was going to score, but because he mishandled it, a second run ended up scoring. So that put them ahead, too. We were tied in the uh, inning. And Verdugo throws it in, and then Kike Hernandez mishandles it, too. So it got mishandled by two guys in the same play. Um, just kind of kind of annoying, and I'd like to see them get locked in. It's hard to get on Alex Verdugo. Game one, and this is why I didn't make Xander Bogarts my stud for the series, despite going 6 for 17 with two uh, home runs. In the fifth inning of... My bad. I think it was, let's see. No, it was the bottom of the sixth inning in game one. Perez was still in the game, and Bogarts booted a routine grounder at shortstop. The next out would have been the third out. That ended up being a pop-up out, and... Cora came out after that out to get Perez out of the game. Sawamora comes in, gives up a two-run bomb, and the score at that point was 3-1. to one. So the score was tied when Xander booted it, and, and then Sawamora comes in and uh, gives up the bomb. Red Sox end up losing that game 4-1, uh, to one. so... Bad defensive play by Xander ended up being costly. Wasn't thrilled with that. Bobby Dahlbeck, we've already kind of hammered those guys. Um, I'm not going to get on Andres or Whitlock because they've been so stellar. You know, everybody's going to scuffle. Whitlock, though, notably that that solo home run ended his perfect uh, streak, so... He no longer has a 0.00 ERA. It's now 0.63. So only human, as Alex Cora said, in case anyone didn't think he was. But, um, yeah, so those were the dishonorables this series. Let's get into – well, you you know what? Let's just kind of continue with something else here. Um, We're going to get into the Detroit series. That should be a gimme series, uh, even though we thought this one was. But Detroit's playing really bad. They've lost like 11 out of their last 12, something like that. Um, Just got swept by the Yankees. But I want to point out here that this is what the month of May looks like. We got the Cupcake Series coming up against the Tigers. Then we've got the Orioles, the Athletics, the Angels, the Blue Jays, the Phillies, the Braves, the Marlins, and the Astros. Seven out of those nine are potentially, at the very least, wildcard contenders. The Orioles are not and the Tigers are not, but the Orioles are going to be good enough to give us fits because, like I said, their offense is pretty good. It's their pitching that's, uh, you know, the last stage of their development, the last stage of their rebuild that they need to uh, finish developing before they become a bona fide contender again. So that's a scary looking schedule, especially coming off of losing to a last place team, three out of four games. And Martinez, Bogarts, and Devers, they're pulling all the weight offensively. That's not sustainable. They're not going to carry the team all year long. We are going to slip 
and being an intense grind here, I haven't looked at June, so one month at a time, but the mindset needs to be different here on what the roster looks like and how guys are going to be utilized. Yeah. So there, there's two things to worry about. Um, well, there's actually three things to worry about. So the first is that, as you said, like the schedule in May is not all that friendly. Um, and sure, we got Detroit coming in, which should be a lamb of a series. But then again, even though it was on the road, Texas should have been a lamb of the series. You should have at least won three out of four against that team. And you didn't. You lost three out of four. Um, and now you've got Detroit coming in, who's playing real bad baseball. But the Red Sox, as Charlie mentioned, they don't play well at home. So that's a concern. Um, our defense is terrible right now. The Red Sox ranked 20th in the majors in fielding percentage which I'm sorry, that was one of the things that I heard about all offseason, all spring training. Oh, defense is going to be better. You know, E.K. Hernandez, Marvin Gonzalez, like Renfro's got a plus arm and a plus this and a plus that. The defense is 20th, and the defense is actively costing you games, as we saw today. So that's a concern. And as Terry, as you mentioned, like it's the middle part of the lineup that's doing all the damage. It's two through five. It's Verdugo, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, and Rafael Devers. Even Christian Vasquez has cooled off. So you're getting almost nothing out of the leadoff spot. You're getting nothing out of the bottom end of your lineup. And it's all reliant on those guys in the middle. And if they don't produce, we don't score. Like, this team doesn't score runs if those guys don't produce. So the month, the month of May is going to be really interesting for this team because – You've got a lot of teams coming in here that are contenders that are playing good baseball and they don't make these other teams don't make a ton of mistakes. So, you know, the Red Sox, I think, had a pretty easy schedule in April. The month of May is going to be a lot more difficult. And if they don't get that bottom part of the lineup fixed and if their defense doesn't play better, then it might be a rough month of May and we could see them falling out of first place and kind of, you know, being on a much different course for the rest of the year after that month. So it's getting hard to listen to you guys with all this negativity in the room. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Detroit is two, and I, if I counted that right, they're two and 15 in their last 17. I'm going to double check that because I thought I messed that up. Uh, it's a, that sounds about they're right. They're two and 15 in their last 17. So if you don't sweep Detroit, I'm going to be a little disappointed. If you only get two out of three, I'm going to think, okay, that's the, you know, the floor here. If you only win one, we have problems. Why am I not really that concerned with May? Because if you guys think that is bad, have you guys looked at June? <laughs> like June is terrifying. Is that So if oh, we're concerned about May, we need to pump the brakes here about this team, like looking really, really good because... I don't want to pop Andrew's balloon. If if we can't get, you know, the three-game sweep against Detroit, which I think we, we can. I, I think we can do it. Um, no, Andrew's not telling me to say this. Baltimore is going to be interesting. 
but we're away and not home, so I feel a little bit better about it. We, we, we do a little bit better away than we do at home. Oakland is one of the best teams. LA is kind of scuffling a little bit. Toronto's all right. But then you get Philly, Atlanta, Miami. And Miami's not getting it done. Atlanta's not doing so great right now. Philly's kind of like hit or miss. So you have a nice little eight-game stand to finish out the month before you face Houston, New York, Houston, Toronto, and then Atlanta in there for a little cupcake, followed by Kansas City, Tampa, New York, and then Kansas City again. June is going to suck. I'm totally okay with May. Um, And I'm not really as nervous as some of the teams that we're facing. I think we can take two out of three against L.A. Oakland will be tough. Baltimore, I mean, you're, you're aiming for a minimum split here. Maybe Richards doesn't have the rain cloud, and he just shocks the world with a third great appearance in a row. I know. It, it, it's 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 hard to fathom, because every single time I talk well about Richards, he blows it. But I want to believe that we have a better shot of doing better in May than we do in June. Because if we struggle in May, oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, my before the season prediction could become a reality. And it's June. Let me ask you this. What divisional opponent in the American League East are you comfortable with? That's a great question. <laughs> None of them. I'm not comfortable with any of them. So it's going to be a grind is what I'm getting at here. Who are you who are or so who are you comfortable with? Who are you the least comfortable with? The least comfortable with? I'm always I, I hate Tampa Bay. Yeah. Like I don't hate them. We I, it's always Tampa Bay because they always find a way. Yeah, that's probably who I'm the least comfortable with. Uh, Baltimore if if we get the better of them this series, maybe I'll start to breathe a little easier. But that's an offense. I mean, Mullins yeah. is hitting well. Mancini's out of his mind right now. Yep. They got that Austin Hayes kid. We haven't played the Yankees yet, so who knows there. Um, Toronto's starting to get guys back. So um, Job called that one. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying. But Jason, thoughts on the division? Yeah, I, I was going to say the one I'm the most comfortable with is actually Baltimore because I know their offense is playing really well right now, but that pitching staff blows. Other than John Means, that pitching staff is awful. So as long as we can outscore them, we're fine against Baltimore. I, I'm not worried about them. I think that they're off to a hot start, but some of those bats, too, are going to cool off. Like Mullins isn't this good. Hayes isn't this good. Mancini is, but their other bats, they're not that good. The pitching still blows. Um, Toronto's the one that I worry about. Toronto is starting to heat up. And, you know, Vlad Guerrero is off to an, an amazing start. Bichette's playing well. Kevin Biggio is off to a slow start. He's going to pick it up at some point. That offense is nasty. Uh, if Rowdy Telez is in the lineup, then he'll do damage against us because he always kills us. Um, and I think that pitching staff is okay. I, I don't love their pitching staff, but Ryu at the front is a beast. Um, you know, if, if some of their other pitches, Robbie Ray can get going there. Toronto scares me. Like, Toronto, I think, is the biggest threat in the division. Tampa doesn't scare me as much. I think they lost too many good pieces. So I think they'll still be decent, and they'll give us a run for our money, but they don't scare me as much. I think the Yankees are frauds. Um, 
you know, outside of MVP or in judge, uh, they're frauds. <laughs> so, you know, they don't scare me as much either. Toronto's the one that I worry about. Yeah. And we've got plenty to go against them. I think we've only played them once so far. Ryu is on the, um, disabled list right now with a uh, strained glute muscle, which uh, is an ass muscle. Uh, I, I always like to pull out. He pulled his <laughs> ass and he's on the injured list. Pulled his ass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the manager didn't pull his ass out of the game. He pulled his own ass. But, um, but yeah, so uh, the other good news is uh, means pitches on Thursday against the Mariners, so we won't see him. The boogeyman will go back in the closet until at least next time. That's yeah, that's a relief. Yeah, so no, uh, no problems there. We should try to get through this in like two minutes, literally, because uh, we're coming up on the ninety-minute mark. Um, Nick Pavetta pitches on let's see Tuesday against TBD, so. Just kind of hoping for a continuation there of uh, good outings. He's coming off of two in a row. Martin Perez goes on Wednesday against Casey Mize, who has a 5.06 ERA. I'm learning not to trust those because we got burnt big time by some bad ERAs in the Texas series and got thumped. Mark Perez has a 4.70 ERA, and clearly he's better than that. And then finally, on Thursday, it's Spencer Turnbull against Nathan Avoldi. So um, not nothing too scary there, and we've got three guys coming off of good starts. So um, I'm going to predict a sweep for the Tigers because I've gotten uh, you know the opposite wrong <laughs> you know so I'm going to I'm going to pick the Tigers to sweep in a in an attempt at a reverse jinx I uh I think I'm going to go with 2 out of 3 for the Red Sox because I do think that Casey Mize is going to blow them away Really Casey Mize is a real he's a really good young pitcher the the, the numbers don't show it but he's nasty He's been nasty for a long time. They finally have him pitching full-time. Um, I don't love the Red Sox against good young pitchers with good stuff. So uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they sweep because they, quite frankly, should. But I just see Casey Mize uh, just shutting. And, you know, that's going to be one of those games where it's Cordero, Dahlbeck, Renfro at the bottom of the lineup, and he's just going to blow us away. So I hope for a sweep, but I'm guessing two out of three. Floor is two out of three, and again, I, I think Evaldi wins. It's it could be the first win for uh, Martin Perez, and maybe Pavetta scuffles a little bit. Um, I'm gonna start using that expression. They got thumped. I like that. Uh, it's you need to win two. That's that's bottom line. That's it. You need to win two. I don't care how you win. You need, you need to win two. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see. Maybe there could be some roster moves tomorrow being an off day. Maybe maybe Dahlbeck gets sent down for his own good to kind of protect him uh, from himself because he we didn't get a chance to really get into him in depth, but he doesn't look good in the batter's box. Even, even at first base, he just 
he's got this discouraged demeanor, I feel like. So so maybe a move gets made there. Maybe a move gets made uh, with Cordero mercifully. Um, so we'll be on the lookout for that on Monday. We will be back on Thursday for the regular show if we don't sneak in a bonus segment before that. But uh, no later than Thursday with Andrew and Job. Everybody, have a good start to your week. Take care.